It's me, DJ Envy, with the word of the day. Subscribe. That's it. That's the word. The Alive Podcast Network is global streaming platform that curates the best black creative content in one spot. Just for you, tap in today for $5 in iOS, Android, and AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Finally, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now tuning into the Positive Deposit Podcast, where we transform minds to change lives. I'm your host, Presley Nelson Jr., and I'm so happy about our guest today, uh, Andrea Clary. Um, she is a survivor. She is a conqueror of AML, and I'm not going to give all of it away, but I'm going to allow her to give her an introduction, and then we'll get into this courageous conversation. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. It's, it never gets easier talking about it, but it's an important thing to talk about. So I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to have fun. So, um, you know, definitely. Let's jump right into it. So when were you diagnosed? Where were you at? What, what was going on at that time? So it was August of 2018. It was August 10th. Um, so it kind of started about a month before I went into the ER. I wasn't oh. feeling well, but I just thought it was stress. Mm-hmm. I was going on. I was the busiest I had ever been. I was the healthiest I had ever been as far as working out. I was like, I'm good. I'm just stressed out. I'm doing too much. <laughs> and so as the days leading up to August 10th got a little bit closer, I started noticing uh, bruises all over my legs, oh, like wow. really big ones. And I would hide them. It was summertime. So I'm walking around with pants on and I'm wanting to show my <laughs> legs because I didn't want anybody to think like, what is this girl doing at home? Like, is she okay? Right, right. We don't need to call the police or anything, you know? Exactly. So I, <laughs> I bypassed it. I was like, I'm busy. I have things to do. I don't really have time to stop and figure what this is. So I just need to get more sleep and drink more water. So for about a month, so July, I ended up rehoming my dog, which was heartbreaking. And I thought he was stressing me out. So I was like, he's got to go. You know, I got to give him to a new home because I'm just too busy. Fast forward to the night I went to the ER, I had just this eerie feeling that something was very, very wrong. I had just gotten home. I drove into my little parking garage. At the time, I was living at Hecht Warehouse over in Ivy City. And I walked to my apartment, and I was so out of breath, like almost like I ran a mile. I just, I couldn't catch my breath. And it took about an hour for my heart rate to go back down to what I felt like was normal. Wow. I called my parents, and I said, I'm afraid to go to sleep. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't think I would wake up. So I got in an Uber, went to Washington Hospital Center. They did a couple of tests, EKG, they took my blood, and then they just, they brought me in the back and I was back there for, oh my goodness, 
I was in the ER for about 18 hours before they told me. It was the next day. So I went in at 10 p.m. at around mm, sometime mid-morning afternoon, I finally got something from an actual doctor after getting, I had um, blood transfusions. I, they gave me platelets. I didn't know what was going on. And then they finally told me that they thought that it was leukemia and I cried my eyes out. I was just about that, you know, what, what was that, you know, that reaction that you had, like what was going through your mind outside of crying? Cause I get it. You know, when they told me that uh, it was a possibility that it was cancer, my heart dropped. I, I, I bawled too. And I just was like, why is this happening to me? So what, what was kind of your thought process or what, was it the same? Was it different? Like, you know, I, to be honest, I was terrified. I, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, I didn't believe it first because no one in my family has any history of leukemia. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, where is this even coming from? Did I eat bad? Like, I just kept going over in my mind. What could this have been? I was in denial for a good, I was in denial for a long time. I also, I was in denial for a while. And I just, I didn't know what else to do, but to just cry. I cried for hours. When you said you were in denial, what were you just like, this can't be happening. This is not real. Like. What, what was yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, like, like, what is going on? How did this happen? In my mind, I started blaming people. I'm like, this is because this was happening. And I, was <laughs> like, I, I just couldn't fathom the idea of what this doctor came and told me. And yeah. after I had been in an ER all night next to, I was sharing a room at the time with this older gentleman who was moaning and groaning for hours. He was in pain for whatever reason. So I'm back there. I'm by myself. Don't you I, love the roommate? Oh, gosh. <laughs> love the roommate oh, yeah. next to you. Yeah. Like. Every couple of minutes, I hear, oh. <laughs> oh, my God, please, please get me out of here. Right, right. What made it easier is my cousin David. I called him. I don't even remember what time I called him. That's a good brother right there. Yes, I called him and I was like, I just, I need someone to be here with me. I don't know what's going on. He canceled his day. He came and he sat with me and he was with me when they told me, but they rolled me towards the back. And when they said it, he was right there. And he just, he just, he's a man of few words, but he has a very specific energy. And he just, he was just with me. Like he was just with my spirit the whole time. She just kissed my forehead, held my hand, like everything until That's amazing. I got there to sit with me. Yeah. So once they gave you the diagnosis um, and you know, they told you it was AML, what, now what's, what, what type of leukemia was it? Was it chronic? Was it, you know, cause I know there's different, different types of, uh, you know, leukemia when it comes to AML. So it was, it's acute myeloid, which it's okay. not chronic. Um, okay. It basically happens quickly. No, they don't know why or how it, it happens very rapidly. Yeah. And that was what it was it, within a matter of two to three months. That's how it kind of starts. Okay. Um, so I didn't get a lot of information initially when they first tell you, they kind of make it sound like it's a death sentence. Like no one tells you like they always do 
Yeah, yeah like, there was no like everything's gonna be okay. Like the first thought was like, oh my god, I don't want to die. Like I'm too young. I don't want to die. I want to live. You know. And how so, how were you when this was when this when you got your diagnosis? How? Oh my gosh, I was 28, 29. What year? 29. Okay. 2021. This happened in 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was 28 or 29. I think 29. Late, late 20s, late 20s. Yeah. So um, what was treatment like, you know? Um, it it hmm. was, it was, it was horrible. I, just to be 100%, it was horrible. It was painful. Um, it was excruciating a lot of the times, more so emotionally than physically. Yeah. You know. So did you have to do like chemo? Did you have to do like just medicine? Like. I did chemo immediately. They, okay. the same day that the doctor came in and said, we think that this is leukemia, they did a bone marrow biopsy maybe an hour later. Oh, wow. To confirm it. Yeah. So they basically take a needle and dig down, they, they don't put you under, they give you lidocaine, which only numbs the area, and they get a needle and they dig down into your bone with this needle and get like a, a sample of your marrow so they can test it. And so they get the priest uh, or chapter. Yeah, that's, that's the thing I, I definitely hated, that bone marrow piece of it. Like, it's, it's an indescribable pain. And it's, it's so small though. Like, it's not like they go, like the needle is like long, but they go in for a little bit. And so, yeah, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> no, I, I remember, it's funny you say that. I said the same thing. I said, whatever it is, I would never want anyone to experience this. I had one, one time with nothing. And I just, what? it was that kind of pain where you just lay there and you just silent tears are come down your face because you can't, what can you do? Like, there's nothing you can do in yeah. the war and it'll be over soon. Yeah. I think altogether I had five, I believe. Five? Yeah. Bone marrows? Okay, so you have five bone marrows. How, uh, how long was chemo? And um, when you're getting chemo, did you have any of the side effects that most people had? Yeah. So chemo, the first round was induction. And that was about a week a little over a week i think a week to two weeks okay i did fine getting the actual chemo they had like the first part of it um and then the second part they call the red medicine yep the red devil yep uh, uh, dana robeson i can't remember is i had dana robeson and i had something with a c getting it was okay it was like afterwards so about yeah. a few days to a week afterwards my hair, it started like, oh, I'm good. My hair's not going to come out. It started to come out. It was like shedding in the shower. Uh. And I didn't have a lot of nausea, which was great, but I, um, I, I had like internal pain, just mm -hmm. mostly from like needles, yeah, arm and stuff like that. Um, my taste buds were all off. So I wasn't eating. I dropped weight dramatically. I wasn't sleeping through the night because they wake you up. I had a heart monitor wow. on. And they would wake me up every time they saw something. So yeah. we were woken up every four hours for 30 days. Now, did you have a port or did you do the IV? I or had, chemo? 
for chemo, the first round, I had a Hickman port um, yep. in my arm right here. And then for my second round, which was done at Hopkins, they gave, not, that's not a Hickman, this was a pick line. I had a pick line here, pick and line, then yeah. in my second round, I had two uh, Hickmans in my chest. What's a Hickman? Because I'm, I'm not familiar with that. So it's, it's like, it's like they, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like, imagine like getting a catheter, but in your yeah. chest. Yeah. So it's basically easier for the meds to deliver them into my body. So it like went right into like my ventricles. All so the it's, like a, it's like a port then. Yeah. So like it, they would go in right here. There's yep. like little, I don't know what side it's on, but. Yeah, I have mine. So yeah. But yeah. Yeah. They yeah. go in there, they put you under, and then it's like you can see, it looks like you have like a. Like vein. a little tube. Yeah. And it's like a little button right here. I didn't have a button. It was literally just a hole in my chest that was covered up with the bandage that I had to keep clean. And I had the two little. Oh, so you had the, oh, you had, oh, wow. So you see with my port, it's underneath the skin. They pierce it. Um, and then that's how they, uh, you know, administer the chemotherapy. So. Nope. I had these two little things that I had to clean every single day and push meds and. And that's crazy. So how, I mean, outside of David, how, how was your, uh, your support system, you know, because it's important that people like, you know, David and, and I had those certain people I would run to. So how did your family handle this and, and surround you? Um, or was it just, just David? Uh, my family was incredibly supportive. I was surprised at how many people kind of rallied around to help. And it wasn't necessarily help as in physically being at the hospital, but just help and prayer and love in general. My parents immediately, they drove up. They, once I got out of the hospital, they stayed at my apartment and they basically lived with me the entire time I did treatment between Washington Hospital Center and Hopkins, which my mom took off work. So I had both of my parents, um, nice. which was great, but it was also a challenge. <laughs> why would you why was it a challenge because i had been living on my own for 10 years and then to be in this space where i'm not able to shower by myself because mm. i didn't have the strength or the energy so like i was like baby all over again my mom was showering me she was feeding me wow. i there was a point in time where i was walking with a walker because i had a really severe reaction to an allergy yeah and that was about two weeks of just really intense pain where I can sit on the toilet wrapping their arms like up underneath me to wow. lower them down so it was everything was I felt like everything was being taken away from me and I just felt like I was being punished for a very long time how was your mental mental state like your mental health at this time you know like from going to this you're a yoga instructor you're eating healthy you're running you're doing all these things to now you're you're a baby you know, you're, you're being taken care of. Like, how did that, how did that affect your mental? It, I was depressed. I mm. will say, I don't know when the exact moment that it really started to hit me. Yeah. But I definitely went through really dark periods where there was a point in time where I wouldn't even pick up the phone. Like people would call mm. me, I would give it to somebody else. I'm like, I don't want to talk. You know, I made like a, a list so to speak in my mind of what I was willing to talk about and what I wasn't willing to talk about and I mostly 
cried to myself. I was in my hospital room alone most of the time because it took yeah. time for my parents to transition from Hampton to DC. Yeah. People had jobs, they had to work. They just drop everything and be with me every moment. Initially. So I just, you know, I felt, I felt alone. I was scared. I was really depressed initially. And then I got mad. And then I started to shift how I viewed everything. And it was like, nah, like I, I have things to do. Right. I, I was just about to ask, how did you get out of that depression? And you already started talking about it. And so you had that mental shift. And how was, how, what was that mental shift? Like, cause I know you was like, man, this ain't me. Looking around at the unit that I was on initially, and it was, it was mostly all blacks. Um, much older there was there was there were some other ethnicities there but I was watching people coming in bringing Popeyes and sodas (laughs) Popeyes wow yeah and you know I'm looking around and I were you judging because I know you you eat really healthy so were you judging it wasn't so much judging maybe it was it was more (laughs) so like this is a hospital and you know, you nurses and doctors are seeing this happening. Like, where's the application for better eating? Like, yeah. these are things that can save people's lives. You know, right, like, right. why isn't there more of a push for mental health? And why isn't there more of a push to give these adults the same thing that children get? Children get Disney movies and they get therapy dogs coming to visit them and they get all these fun things. And it's like, ah. Uh, just because I'm not a little person anymore doesn't mean my inner child doesn't need this to yeah. help me move forward and, and grow a sense of like, I can, I can do this. Like I'm a superhero too, even though right. I'm 30 years old. Like, <laughs> so the looking around, I just decided like, no, like I, I'm, I'm, I refuse to accept that this is the rest of my life. Like yeah. I, just, I refused. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't about to lay in the hospital bed and let it overtake me. So I started asking people to bring stuff from my apartment so I could design it like my apartment to feel more comfortable. Okay. Well, I'm gonna switch gears real quick because I know um, this is heavy. But you know, you are a yoga instructor. You know, you have some some great certifications. So. Um, I've only done yoga once mm-hmm. and, um, and it's, it's pretty cool, but I had to use the blocks and things of that nature. So like, what are the, the top five yoga practices, right? Cause you know, they're not, they're, they're, they're your practices. What are like some of the, what are some of the, the top five practices or, or myths about yoga that people may or may have? Myths? There's lots. Um, the first one is that you have to be flexible don't it's not a requirement <laughs> to start okay um, that you have to be this like zend out being in order to gain the benefits of of yoga that you have to be strong um a certain type was that that's four yeah and let's see five um, the other myth about yoga is that it's all stretching. It's not. It's it's mm. actually deceptively difficult once you really start getting into it. Um, it's it's it is it is a workout for sure, depending on the type of yoga that you're doing. But yeah, 
Those are the yeah. five. Okay. So how were you able to bounce back? You know, you went through the treatment, you had the support, you know, you went through those valleys, but how were you able to, you know, jump right back into it? You know, what was that point that you was, you already said like, hey, this is not me, but um, how'd you transition back into, you know, getting, you know, after treatment? Life, like transition back to life? Yeah. Um, I, if I'm being 100% honest, I still feel like I haven't fully transitioned back mm. to normal life. I mean, it looks that way on the outside because, you know, I'm here and I'm talking and I'm laughing. Yeah. You know, it's still a part of me that is very challenging to navigate sometimes. So mm. I wouldn't say that I necessarily fully bounced back. I learned how to better accept where my life is now, who I am now, because I feel like I'm a totally different person. Yeah. And what's going to be ahead, like what I want for my life. So I'm still two, three years later, I'm still navigating that space. Um, It would be, it wouldn't be honest if I said like, yeah, bounce back. I'm good. Like I'm great health wise, but emotionally nobody teaches you once you leave the hospital and you're back on your own, there's no one to teach you how to like be here again. No, it's it's no perfect blueprint. Yeah. I mean, I have my moments still, you know, like, and, um, and I I concur with you, you know, um, for me, it was more a mental shift, you know, and, um, but we, we have our own, I think it's PST, PSTD. Is that what it is? PSTD. Yeah. We have those moments, you know, and those little scares that always seem to like creep up out of nowhere sometimes, you know? Um, and so I, I concur with you. I mean, like, um, what is your eating habit like now? You are already eating healthy. Do you stay, have you changed? Have you shifted a little bit? Does your diet have to change now or? Um, I have shifted some. I, I was vegan at the time that I went into treatment and I stayed vegan the entire time. I refused to put a lick of anything in my body other than fruits, vegetables, and whatever I could tolerate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But once I got out, I had lost so much weight. I need more. So how much of, if you don't mind me asking, how much weight did you lose? Before how what was your weight before and then during the uh, let's see, I was about one 35 maybe 138 when I went mm-hmm. in and at my lowest I was like 99 100 pounds yeah wow. probably wow. like I think 99 is a little low but about 100 pounds they had to delay my my transplant because I was underweight they didn't think that my body would be able to handle the level of stress doing the second round of therapy and and the bone marrow transplant and the chemo that comes after the bone the bone marrow transplant. So, so why did you have to get a bone marrow transplant? Because I was high risk. Okay. So they basically wanted to ensure that it didn't come back. Yeah. And what's the percentage of it coming back after you have this transplant or you're good to go? You know, I actually never even entertained that idea because I was so convinced, like, we're not, no. Like, it, it, I'd hear it. I would hear someone say, well, make, I'm like, nope. I just, I immediately, if that was entered into my world, I rejected the suggestion. And I just, I didn't see my life any other way than being alive. 
everything else, I was like, I'll figure that out later. Alive is, that is, that is what I'm going for. That's it. Definitely. So now that, you know, um, I know that it still comes back. So what is Andrea doing now? Like, what is, what are you doing now? You know, um, after, I mean, how many years has it been since your last treatment? It's been, I got my transplant in December of 18. So okay. we're, we're coming on almost three years, not quite. Okay. Okay. That's still good. Once you hit five, you know, that's, that's the lucky number. The yeah. most of it. Maybe it is three years. <laughs> December 18, December 19, December 20. You're almost getting to three years in this December. Oh, almost three years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. What is life like post-treatment? It is an ebb and a flow. Uh, it's life is good. I will say that life is really good. I'm more centered than I've been prior to all of this happening. I have a better relationship with myself spiritually Mm. I I pray more, I laugh more, I do more of the stuff that I did as a kid that now I truly enjoy as an adult. So I would honestly say life now, even with the bumps, you know, every every once in a while I have some moments where I'm just like, oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> but most <laughs> of the time. I'm like, this is actually really kind of a miracle. Like every time I wake up and I'm not in pain or I can drive somewhere or I'm showering by myself. Yeah. You know what? I'm doing really awesome. So I'm teaching again. Uh, I started getting into interior styling and design, which is something I always wanted to do. Wow. So I'm doing that. I've had more conversations and met more people in different places. I've traveled more. And so it's just everything just kind of domino effect. A lot of good yeah. things. Mm. No, nah, it seems so. You know, um, a couple of things that stuck out to me when you were talking is like, you know, spiritually, right? How, how strong was your faith prior to this? And now how strong is, how, how, well, did, where does that measure now? Night and day. Mm. Um, I grew up in a very religious household, you know, so religion, and I think there's, to me, there's a difference between religion and spirituality. Talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to go to church as a kid all the time, all the things with church, had to, had to, had to, like, if you didn't go to church on Sunday, you couldn't do anything else for the rest of the week. So I strayed away from that. Um, the older I got, the more I was like, I don't really believe in this, you know, idea that we're all bad people and we're just these sinners. Like, I just, it didn't make sense to me. I believe that there was something, there was some kind of power and, and you know, we're all connected by something, but there was something else that was missing. This whole experience taught me that everything I believe everything I feel, all the power, it comes from inside. And it takes a level of introspection to really connect to that. Yes. And when you do that, even if it's painful, you start noticing like, oh, like, okay. So this is what that connection is. This is what that feeling of spirit is. Like your intuition guiding you and you being in the, the right place at the right time. Yeah. Wrong time, but 
I started looking at principles more than looking at a set system of beliefs that may not change, you know? So, so I still listen to gospel music and I still get all the feels, absolutely. But I also look at things like, man, I see my life from a very different perspective. I don't see it as this, you know, I'm gonna go to heaven or hell. I see it more so as heaven is what I create. I can either live there every day or I can create a hell by making choices that foster that kind of environment. That's powerful what you just said. I live heaven every day. Wow. I'm trying. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. Um, and, um, you know, I think one thing when it comes to faith, for at least for me when I was journeying, and this is both times, you know, for the first time it was, I already mentally said that God is going to take me through this obstacle, just like everything in life, right? Um, but when it happened a second time, it, I had to really buckle down and have, I had to have a conversation with God. I said, look, man, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? You know, I reached my five-year mark and then it, it, you know, I get a different form in a, in a different stage. And it's like, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? And, and it was a lot of resilience that, that I learned from this, both experiences, right? And definitely not to take life for granted. You know, um, and so when you said that heaven on earth, you know, and just making sure that every moment counts and, you know, you're really staying in tune. So you get that intuition and that gut feeling that's just, whoo, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So it's one of those things where um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, man. And God, God created the miracles, not only in me, but in you, you know, like, to lose almost like 40 pounds, right, is crazy. I, I lost almost, like, I, it was like 35, right? And this is around 2018, you know? So it's like, um, I'm just blessed. Because when David told me, you know, he called me, he was like, man, you know, my cousin's going through it, you know, what can you, you know, give me some pointers, I'm new to this. And, you know, I, I, I shout out to David, like he, you know, reached out and he, um, you know, yeah, man, <laughs> he's a, he's a rock star, man. And he's, he's a very genuine person, a very genuine person. So I'm glad you had that angel in your life because it's those angels through our journey that helps us get through this, you know what I mean? To the finish line. Cause it's not easy. And a lot of people and um, don't talk about it, but this is the testimony and blessing for someone else knowing that, Hey, you can get through this journey um with the support and with god and just even platforms like this so you know i you know commend and salute you for you know even sharing because not many people know what aml is mm. people only know about the popular cancers right breast cancer yeah. prostate you know um colon cancer you know um and there's other types of cancers there's those blood cancers like me and you had lymphoma leukemia you know those are things that um are happening you know so i definitely commend you um on that um so um you know uh you do yoga um what about meditation i love meditation probably more than i love yoga and how important is it to meditate during during not only during this process or being able to have a meditation life i believe 
meditation in the way that I went about it was one of the things that helped save my life. Mm. Um, having an awareness of what's happening in your body, outside of your body, all around your body was something that helped me communicate with doctors, with nurses, with other people. And maybe that was just spirit moving through me like, look, sis, we got something to tell you. But sitting in silence and it just being me. There's, there's, I mean, you hear the beeps and you hear, you know, other people going on, but when it's just you by yourself and you're there and you're just crying, like no one can really hear you, your door's closed, like you're just crying. And that, that moment of crying is also purification in a way, because the more I cried, the stronger I felt, the more I, you know, started sitting with myself and just kind of writing. Like my form of meditation during this whole thing wasn't necessarily like, ah, it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was every day, you know, writing, journaling. It was turning off my phone and just being with myself, playing mm. with awkward silences that I hadn't really fully dealt with. It was learning how to quiet my mind and allow my body to show me what I needed to know, you know, yeah. and trusting whatever that was. That was what it was like during treatment. After treatment, I actually started sitting down and like, mm. like my incense because I was able to do it, you know, at the time. I was Is that the sage? I had. You lighting your sage and-, and, and My sage, my <laughs> incense. Like I set the mood in my house for months. Every yeah. morning I would get up and I did at least 30 to 45 minutes of silence or some type of guided meditation and writing. I had my breakfast, I did my shower. All of that to me was meditation because it was how I started my day. And when I started my day that way, the minute I left the house, it'd be like, ding, ding, ding. Just like, to me, miracles happening. All around. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> So give me a give if I want to start meditating, right? Give me like a, a cliff note starter kit of how to meditate. What what how should I do I need to go buy my sage? Do I need to, you know, get my own like what do I need to do to start to meditate? Because I, I feel like meditation is very important. Not only do going through cancer and things of that nature, but just in life in general. So what what's what's my starter kit? What do I need to do? I would say the first thing is to acknowledge where you are and start there. Mm. And it sounds so simple, but when I talk about meditation, I sat for 30 minutes meditating. It's like, oh my God, I can't even sit for five minutes without my, it's less about what comes up in your mind and more about how you react to whatever that is. Mm. So if where you are now is, I sit down for two to three minutes and my mind goes haywire. That's okay. Okay. You know, so basically it's like you're coaxing yourself, not even coaxing, you're allowing yourself to be okay with the fact that I can sit for two minutes and be like relatively free and calm. And then that third minute, my mind is like groceries, cleaning, work. Cause, I, cause I'm thinking right now, like, 
when I wake up, I'm thinking about a thousand things, you know, so to probably sit for two, three minutes, I'm like, I need to be doing something. I need to be doing something. But, you know, like knowing where the space you're in is, is, is definitely key. Now, I, I know there's like mantras or like, you know, sometimes there's like either music or things or there's apps. Like once I know what space I am, do I now do I get the app or do I say mantras or what? What's next? I would use apps. I, I use apps. I use okay. YouTube. I use Inside Timer. Um, there I heard an Inside Timer. I definitely heard an Inside Timer. It's amazing. Um, I will literally Google. Like if I see something pop off on my phone, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to try this. Like I read books. I'm like from spiritual authors who nice. offer like different types of meditations. Um, so I do that. But I would definitely start off with just simple guided meditations it could be five minutes like a gratitude sitting for a moment before getting out of your bed before sticking your feet on the ground or picking up your phone and scrolling which i'm guilty of doing sometimes still me too <laughs> and you can do that for like 20 minutes easy you don't even know yeah. you get up in the morning and you just look around your room maybe the windows are open maybe they're not and just like thank you the sun is shining thank you that i woke up this morning thank you that i have breath in my lungs thank you for these comfortable pillows and blankets that i have thank you for my skin thank you for my like the simplest things i view that as meditation because meditation to me is simply just communing in prayer it just yes. I'm like i'm on my knees with my hands and i'm and i'm asking for something you're just being thankful and taking notice of what's around you so like the more you start noticing little stuff like oh my god there's a bird that flew outside my window today. <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah oh my goodness did you see that cloud in the sky that looked like a baby i mean it sounds kind of wild but the more you start doing that the more you get used to paying attention and then the more you pay attention the more you'll start to feel like damn these thoughts are coming up because i've been avoiding them and my body's like oh you're quiet now yeah here we go. I'm about to tell you all the things that you're not dealing with during the day. So now it's time for me to just bubble it all up to see what you can deal with and what you can't. Yeah. You know? Okay. All right. I'm going to take that on. You know, I'm going to check back in. I'm like, hey, I done done 10 minutes. It was a struggle, <laughs> but I got through it. So now this is awesome. So um, we're at that space. Well, one, first of all, thank you for sharing your journey. Um, I, um, I was already, I've been trying to, you know, get you on this show because David told me and, you know, um, I, I was just intrigued by it. And I'll do anything for David. I mean, like, you know, David is at, <laughs> like, David can say, hey, Presley, I need this. And, and so when he told me about it, you know, and I was able to talk to him, I was like, I can't wait to meet, meet this person that he talked highly of, you know, especially because you were eating healthy, you know, like all the things that that people don't do, you were doing, but you were able to come through this. And, and I appreciate you, you know, sharing that intimate moment because um, I know it's not easy. However, at the end of all these things, there's, there's these positive, it's positive, right? And so here, every guest comes on and we ask them for at least three positive deposits that you would share with someone that may be going through AML um, or just any type of cancer and um yeah just drop those positive deposits so three three that you would you would give to anyone going through uh 
any type of cancer. Let's see, three. Um, mm, love is a superpower. Mm. It every day. Um, ooh, <laughs> if you if you need a couple, if you need more than three, I, I'll you know I'll let you I'll let you slide this time. Okay, okay. The other one is um, allow the strength to be in your mind and rely less on your body. Mm, mind over mind over body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and. The third thing that I would say is surround yourself with laughter and positivity and as much love as you can. It goes all the way back to love because those are the things that are going to really ground within you what you got to do to keep going. You know, you know? That, those are some three powerful positive deposits. So I definitely thank you for that. So um, Andrea, if we, people want to find find you are you on social media you know if they want to talk to you more about you know yoga meditation eating well how can we find you yeah so i am on social media uh, i have two i have one that's like my personal one which is uh, miss clary okay. and i have uh, saging grace which i came up with that after my treatment because okay it just I don't know, just kind of birthed itself. So that's, um, it's saging with the G, S-A-G-I-N-G underscore grace. And then Miss Clary is M-I-S-S-C-L. Okay. And at Saving Grace, what's that Saving Grace, that page? Saging with a G. Saging. So at that, at the Saving, Saving Grace, is that more like your meditation? Is that the, where I can buy sage? Like, so Saging Grace is more of like me offering myself as a teacher. And okay. With uh, Miss Clary, that's the person behind Saging Grace. I think it's easy to get lost in business. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to have a distinguisher. Like, this is who I am on an everyday basis. These are the yeah. things that I do. So those are the two places to find me and just find all of the different ways that I'm living now. Awesome. Well, you heard it right there. Uh, Mrs. Clary, the, the personal side, and Saging underscore Grace for the, the teaching piece of it. So once again, thank you for uh, you know coming on the show. As you can catch this, guys, on all your streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And you can see this live interview as well you know, um, on our YouTube channel. Um, and of course, come visit the website, www.positivedeposits.org. You know, we got that donation button. We are a nonprofit, a Black-owned nonprofit, and every donation allows this kind of conversation to happen. So um, you heard it from Andrea. You heard it from me. We already just transformed minds and changed lives. So until then, thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on the show. And um, we're signing off. <laughs>